Welcome to Front Run, where we predict the future of money and decentralized finance. The next generation of wealth creation is crypto and DeFi. We're going on this journey together. I'm your host, John Cook, and today we've got a super hot take to cover. It's called 40 Years of Failed U.S. Monetary Policy and a call to reject the entire U.S. financial system for a more transparent and trustless solution on the blockchain. When I posted this on Twitter and Reddit and across the interwebs, it caught a lot of heat, good and bad. If you want to read it yourself, check it out at frontruncrypto.com. Otherwise, we're going to dive into it right now and provide commentary along the way. So 2022, once again, reminds us of the risk of a human-centered and trust-based system of money. Previously, we published an analysis titled, Somebody Else Has Both of Our Shit and They're Watching Us Fight Over It. This article outlines the rationale behind these obscure governmental committees and their inability to define a coherent, rules-based framework that serves to benefit the average American. If you didn't read it, the TLDR is that it's all intentional. We continue on this article today by explaining the vagueness and opacity and inconsistency through which our government cannot agree on terms like, what is a recession? All of this exists to keep the tax base confused as the U.S. continues to debase the value of the dollar while governmental leaders are controlled by the invisible hand of corporate donors who continue to dominate both sides of the political spectrum. I am shocked when I saw a tweet by Unusual Whales. You got to check it out. Go to their Twitter. It's basically a video with the House Financial Services Committee where they actually laugh about the revolving door from Congress to the banks and was really my catalyst for writing this entire guide. Watch it and ask yourself, who is really in charge? My theory is that the persistent state of economic destruction, which is catastrophized by over six recessions in the past 40 years, is truly a byproduct of trust-based financial institutions focused on preserving its legacy and lining its pockets at the expense of the taxpayers, you and I. In the 1980s, this restrictive U.S. monetary policy championed by Fed Chair Paul Volcker was a trust-based attempt to kill core inflation by raising the short-term federal funds rate. And if you go to Front Run Crypto and look at this article, you'll see we have a chart that overlays the funding rate plus core CPI from 1980 to 1985. And you can see the interplay between the two data points, which is essentially an attempt to crush the middle class. This was subsequently followed by a 90s redo led by Alan Greenspan, where funding rates were again raised six times in 12 months in an attempt to cool the economy. What is the result? On the backdrop of depressed earnings growth, and the realization that the 90s money printer style of investing has ended. VCs dumped their post-IPO Ponzi Pets.com shares to retail traders left holding the bag with worthless penny stocks denominated in U.S. dollars. These U.S. dollars with less buying power than the previous five years which preceded it. If you look at the NASDAQ 100 over this time frame, you'll see the pump and dump live. It's truly astonishing leading up to Y2K, where I was really just 10, 11 years old. The pump to NASDAQ over 4,500 
all the way back down to 2000 in a matter of years or months is truly astonishing. By the mid-2000s, affordable housing policies implemented by President Clinton and championed by President Bush created a regulatory environment that encouraged federally-backed companies like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac into subprime markets without putting in place the means to monitor their increasingly risky investments. From Michael Gruley, Robert Farrow, and Stuart Turnbull from 2007, and I quote, by 06, subprime mortgages represented 13% of all outstanding loans with origination of subprime mortgages representing 20% of new residential mortgages compared to the historical average of six. Clinton's Housing and Urban Development Secretary, Andrew Cuomo, turned the Federal Housing Administration's mortgage program into a sweetheart lender with sky-high loan ceilings and no money down, and he legalized a series of kickbacks to brokers that have fueled the sale of overpriced and unsupportable loans. By 2008, three to four million families were now facing foreclosure. Again, trust-based policies enacted by experts created an environment where commercial institutions and lenders pushed Americans to record levels of residential and revolving credit debt. And we can overlay this via a chart on the website that outlines record levels of consumer debt between residential mortgage debt, revolving credit card debt, at an all-time high by 2008. Alas, a moment of hope emerged from the masses, an awakening where the American people realized that it is not okay for the top 1% to act as the invisible hand of public policy. It is not okay for the top 1% to control 25% of corporate equities, and it sure as hell isn't acceptable for the government to bail out corporate banks to the tune of 700 billion U.S. dollars via its troubled asset relief program while providing its constituents, again, you and I, absolutely nothing. By 2011, the Occupy Wall Street movement was born, a protest movement against economic inequality and the influence of money in politics, a rejection of the trust-based institutions which have failed to serve the will of the people, a rejection of a system that gave $700 billion to corporate bankers in the forms of a bailout while offering middle America absolutely nothing. Unfortunately, what did this Occupy Wall Street movement yield? By 2011, nothing. Truly a testament to the corporate class which shapes government policy. Both Republicans and Democrats are beholden to the invisible hand of corporate interests. And there's a super funny meme for those who are viewing the article on the website. It's a family guy quote where two people are at a restaurant and the waiter saying, you are just both terrible. And it's a picture of Democrats and Republicans guilty as charged. This incompetency leads us to where we are today. A series of mandated by the government trust-based policies produced the U.S. CARES Act, over $2 trillion of new money entering the global money supply system. The result, housing and affordability is at an all-time high. Core inflation is the highest since the 80s. Consumer savings are at pre-pandemic lows. The captain of the ship, Jerome Powell, and the Federal Reserve are on a mandate to reduce core inflation by whatever it takes. And I quote, I wish there was a painless way to do that. There isn't. 
So what we need to do is get rates up to the point where we're putting meaningful downward pressure on inflation, and that's what we're doing. Jerome Powell, press conference, 9-21-2022. The problem with this, core inflation is also impacted by commodity prices. Jerome Powell cannot influence Taiwan to reduce its commodity prices on circuit boards. He cannot influence OPEC Plus to reduce crude oil prices to $50 a gallon. He cannot influence the price of avocados from Mexico. This is why the aggregate commodity prices from milk to poultry to lumber to circuit boards and everything in between are at record highs. So what happens when we put it all together? The catastrophe over the past 40 years. The six recessions were since 1980 were truly a byproduct of number one, loose monetary policy of the late 70s that led to the Volcker era of quantitative tightening and an early 80s recession. Number two, loss of consumer and business confidence via the global supply crisis of the 80s, coupled with the Tax Reform Act of 1986 that lowered investment incentives and ended the real estate valuation boom of the mid 80s, led to an early 90s recession. I think we're in for a repeat. This is happening right in front of our eyes. Number three, a reckless supply of capital led by Silicon Valley VCs further enabled by loose monetary policy of the early 2000s created the Y2K boom and a series of worthless pets.com startups. Number four, regulatory policy enacted by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development incentivized commercial lenders to underwrite and repackage subprime mortgages called mortgage-backed securities in the mid-2000s. And where are we today? A global pandemic empowered government regulators to shut down the economy with $5 trillion of economic stimulus bills reeled with fat and ways for everyone except you. So what does this have to do with money? What is the impact of all of this on money? Moreover, what does the failed economic policy set forth by government regulators have to do with the value of money and our collective bargaining power? The answer is threefold. Government regulators enact policy that influence three areas of money. Number one, the total money supply called M2. Number two, the total U.S. public debt. And number three, the total interest expense on U.S. public debt. We want the M2 money supply to grow at a rate of about 2% to facilitate maximum employment and price stability. This enables households to make sound decisions with respect to savings, borrowing, and investing, all of which contribute to a well-functioning economy. We want the U.S. public total debt to be around 30 to 50% of GDP or lower. This ensures our ability to allocate resources to domestic programs like Medicare, infrastructure, public safety, education, and the militarization of U.S. allies across the globe. Kidding, not kidding. Finally, we want the total U.S. interest expense on U.S. public debt to align with the broader debt obligation while encouraging that we, while ensuring that we avoid deficit spending. The revenue collected by the government should be greater than the primary deficit plus the interest-bearing debt. Again, these trust-based policies enacted over the past 40 years have failed to deliver on all three areas of influence. 
and it's clear and quantifiable because debt as a percentage of GDP, as well as the total money supply, are at record highs. Specifically, U.S. public debt as a percentage of GDP is greater than 100%. The total money supply is at a record of $21 trillion. $21 trillion U.S. dollars are floating out in the world today. And finally, public debt interest payments are now the single largest expense costing taxpayers greater than $1 trillion per year. This amount is greater than what the government is expected to spend on veteran programs, food programs, social security, military and civilian retirement, transportation, higher education, housing, and STEM all combined. In aggregate, our elected leaders have forced the American taxpayers into $31 trillion of total public debt with annualized payments of $1 trillion against an annual fiscal spending plan of $5 trillion per year with continued deficit growth that will push public debt as a percentage of GDP to over 200% by 2050 if left unchanged. And a quote from the U.S. Government Accountability Office this year, 2022. The federal government faces an unsustainable fiscal future. If policies don't change, debt will continue to grow faster than the economy. Difficult policy decisions are needed to address the growing debt and change the government's fiscal path. The underlying conditions driving this unsustainable fiscal outlook existed well before, well before the COVID-19 pandemic and continue to pose serious challenges if not addressed. Projections from the Office of Management and Budget and the Department of Treasury of the Congressional Budget Office and the GAO all show that current fiscal policy is unsustainable over the long term. So what is the solution? Well, we acknowledge that the government regulators have failed. This failure transcends both sides of the political spectrum as a result of trust-based institutions. The people elect individuals to act on their behalf, yet elected individuals fail to deliver. If trust-based systems have failed, then trustless solutions are mankind's beacon of hope. Trustless systems are technologies, policies, and solutions absent of human intervention. Code is law, and agreements are automatically enforced via smart contracts. Data is transparent, it is visible, and it is final. This is the blockchain. The actors of our economic financial system transcend three participants, central banks, commercial lenders, and payment processors. Central banks like the Federal Reserve define monetary policy. Commercial banks like Bank of America and the Goldman Sachs borrow and lend using depositor and interbank funds. These are the fund rates we've been talking about. Payment processors like Visa control the rails through which money is transmitted between commercial banks and depositors. Moreover, central banks set monetary policy, they print more money, they print less money, they mandate commercial lenders to ease lending standards. This is the HUD for residential mortgage applicants. They create policies which allow businesses to source goods overseas. This is NAFTA, bail out banks, bail out airlines, bail out everyone except you and I. This is Occupy Wall Street, this is COVID, this is our lives. The commercial lenders act in partnership with government regulators to increase or decrease the flow of capital to depositors and other banks. This is what is happening today with COVID. 
You deposit your money into their institutions like the Goldman Sachs and Bank of America. And for that service, you're paid an amazing 0.1% APY while they lend your deposits to your neighbor at 7%. These payment processors like Visa, PayPal, and Venmo operate as true monopolies to facilitate the transfer of money between lenders and depositors in exchange for a nominal fee. Payment processors are beholden to the central banks in that they will freeze your assets if requested by a regulator. We're actually seeing this bullet point uh, spill into the DeFi world right now with the OFAC rulings related to USDC, Uniswap, and others banning applications and wallets which interact with Tornado Cash and related protocols. As DeFi and Web3 evangelists, we must be vigilant and ensure the regulatory oversight of corrupt institutions are shunned by the Web3 community. In summary, the legacy financial systems and its purposes can be defined as follows. Central banks set monetary policy, commercial lenders define the custody and control the custody of assets, and payment processors facilitate settlement. There is an opportunity for the entire trust-based legacy financial system to be replaced with an economic solution free of human intervention, void of greed, and the gamut of emotions that make man fallible. There is an opportunity to be trustless, and that is replacing the entire legacy system with blockchain technology that facilitates both monetary policy, the custody of assets, and the settlement of transactions. Starting with the blockchain of monetary policy, technologies like Bitcoin and Ethereum do not rely on a system of highly matrixed governmental organizations enacting policies on behalf of their constituents. Instead of relying on government regulators and its corporate donor class, Bitcoin and Ethereum rely on a global network of peers called nodes enforcing policy set at the base layer. Bitcoin's monetary supply and total money available is capped at 21 million Bitcoins and node participation is incentivized by nominal transaction fees paid to miners. This means Bitcoin's, the means for Bitcoin to depreciate in value as a result of debasement or inflationary policy is not possible. This is sound monetary policy. Ethereum's monetary policy encourages holders of ETH to stake their holdings to the base layer to facilitate the verification of transactions. Stakers are rewarded new ETH pro rata the amount of network activity and stake nodes on the network. Ethereum's base layer is framed as deflationary when network activity yields gas prices above 8 GUI. Ethereum's ability to act as a deflationary asset is called ultrasound monetary policy. The DeFi DGENs love this. Neither Bitcoin nor Ethereum rely on a central enforcement mechanism to verify transactions and enact government policy. The base layer enforces the scarcity of its, of its currency as a result of miners and node participants who are incentivized to verify transactions. Moreover, blockchain monetary policy enforces equal, ta equal taxation on all participants. The legacy of industry bailouts that transcend financial, automotive, and the broader business community are rejected in this new era of trustless financial systems. The blockchain of asset custody can be defined as follows. In a trust-based financial system, 
we require the legal system and its government regulators to enforce our rights to ownership. Unfortunately, we have seen the system fail as our elected leaders time and time again decide the winners and losers by proxy of bailouts. For example, the assets of Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan Chase were protected, were protected during the 2008 housing bubble. Your assets foreclosed. The assets of airlines, cruise ships, and publicly traded companies were protected during the 2020 COVID pandemic. You at $1,200 stimmy check. Now shut up. Government regulators decide what types of liabilities are subject to bankruptcy proceedings and what liabilities are exempt. For example, you must pay your $100,000 of student loans until you die. But the executive team of Hertz Rental Car can seek regulatory approval on $19 billion of debt during the peak of COVID while issuing $16 million of bonuses. That's right. $16 million of bonuses to themselves at the same time. The interplay between asset forfeiture, forgiveness, and the government's philosophies of socializing losses while privatizing gains are eliminated on the blockchain. Ownership is enforced through cryptography. By replacing a bankruptcy judge with private cryptographic keys, both Bitcoin and Ethereum have introduced a technology that can operate outside of legacy financial systems. Personal sovereignty and a sense of self-agency on the blockchain will create an environment that encourages ownership without a governmental body deciding who wins and who loses. Finally, the blockchain of settlement. Today, we pay payment processors like Visa, PayPal, and Venmo to process our transactions. We trust that these systems will act with integrity and objectivity. With blockchain, humans are not the deciders of truth and cannot determine which transactions are valid. In the blockchain, node operators verifying transactions enforce the rules defined by the base layer. If a node operator attempts to break a rule, its peer nodes will reject the information. In Ethereum, this is called a slashing event, and staked ETH is subject to burn. That means your money will disappear. Proposed changes to the code and subsequent forks are of no merit unless the majority of the community decides to accept the change. Consider Bitcoin forks, BTC Cash, BTC XT, Bitcoin, SV, Litecoin, they all failed. Ethereum forks, Ethereum Classic, ETH POW, all failed. Ethereum's DeFi technology truly has the potential to make its base layer the settlement layer for all financial transactions, while Bitcoin's sound monetary policy represents the future of money. Moreover, unlike traditional financial systems with opaque transactions and off-chain investments, participants in the blockchain benefit from native verification tools and the ability to view all transactions via an audit of the Blockchain Explorer. You can do this. It is truly my belief that these verification tools, which enable financial auditability, will be the catalyst that encourages entities to build services on the blockchain. So what can we conclude? Although we're not able to ascertain which blockchain will emerge the winner, it is our belief that blockchain technology will create the possibility of a new global trustless monetary system not controlled by humans. By rejecting the trust-based institutions which have failed to serve their people over the past 40 years, we welcome a new and novel economic organization that is paving the way for a more transparent and fair monetary system. 
If you want to read this article, again, go to frontruncrypto.com. Otherwise, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And as always, do your own research. This is not advi <laughs> This is not financial advice. You can lose all your money in crypto. Proceed with caution. Thank you.